This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. Hello, you sexy sat stackers. This is Chris, and welcome to the latest episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. Today is Wednesday, February 8th, 2023, and that means it is DCA Wednesday. Are you ready to grow that stack? All right, before we get into it, and there's a lot to get into this week, let's take a real quick look at the vital statistics. At the time of this recording, Bitcoin is ringing in at a block height of 775,641, and the current US dollar price per Bitcoin is $22,895, or approximately 4,368 sats per cuckbuck. Uh, that is down just a tiny bit from the last two weeks. Although, uh, you know, as we pointed out on multiple episodes, when you when you DCA weekly and you you it forces you to zoom out. And you take that long term look. We're pretty much what we're we're less than a thousand dollars off of where we were last two Wednesdays, but uh, basically in the same ballpark that we've been for almost a month. So zooming out, taking that thirty thousand foot look, uh, Bitcoin hasn't been quite as volatile as if you're staring at those price charts day in and day out. Uh, relentlessly, which I do anyway. All right, along those lines, uh, that puts us about 64,359 blocks away from Bitcoin's next halving, TikTok next block. If you haven't been around for a Bitcoin halving, it is a fun time. Back before the Bitcoin 2020 conference in Miami, 2021, whatever it worked out to be, uh, the big event, I mean, there were Bitcoin conferences, but the big events always, uh, or at least the last big event had been planned around the Bitcoin halving. 2020 threw a wrench into that. There were some massive Bitcoin parties planned all around the world. In Europe, there was a huge one that I've mentioned before in Tel Aviv, Israel. Uh, and I think we're going to see that again. So if you haven't experienced a Bitcoin halving and you're a Bitcoiner, it's going to be a good time. I'm sure you'll be, I'm sure before long, since we're less than a year or just right about a year away, maybe a month, a year and a month away from the next Bitcoin halving, depending on how fast blocks come in, uh, before too long, you'll you'll be excited and you'll you'll be having you'll be knowing where you're going to be when Bitcoin uh, when the Bitcoin having occurs. All right, and speaking of Bitcoin statistics, Bitcoin's market capitalization is down a tiny bit from last week as well, uh, ringing in at a total market cap of 441.5 billion. That is down 16 billion from last Wednesday, but two Wednesdays ago it was up 46 billion. So. It's amazing how fast we forget that Bitcoin was $16,000 a coin just a month or so ago. Uh, they say Bitcoin changes you, it changes your perspectives, and it does, because um, all of a sudden $22,000 Bitcoin seems like, oh, Bitcoin's crashed when you know it was $6,000 cheaper just a month ago. Uh, and of course, you know if you're stacking sats, you should, you should be thankful for those, those prices. You're almost praying for that next black swan event maybe that btc or uh, maybe that uh uh grayscale bitcoin trust gbtc uh crash that everybody's worrying about maybe that'll happen and you'll get to scoop up those twelve thousand dollar bitcoin or maybe the bottom is in and we're gonna go up and to the right uh, forever laura uh heading into that next having and that new all-time high 
Uh, and if you have been following Bitcoin for any time now, you know Bitcoin runs in those four-year cycles. Usually we set a new all-time high six months to 18 months after the halving. Uh, and even though we had that double top, some would argue a triple top might be, maybe in the works uh, in the last halving cycle, uh, it still set a new all-time high. $69,000 was uh, unimaginable four years prior to that when we weren't even 20. You know, they, everybody pretty much rounds up to 20 for the previous all-time high, but it, depending where you get your information, it was really 17000 or 18000 something, uh, depending on what exchange or metric site you're getting your, your Bitcoin pricing information from. But I digress. Uh, for those of you who value your wealth in shiny yellow rocks, it is going to cost you 12.3 ounces of gold to purchase just one Bitcoin, 12 and uh, about a third, a little less than a third, 12 and 30% of one of Peter's shift my precious coins. And that is down just a tiny bit from last week when it was 12 and a half ounces, but significantly up from a month ago when it would only take you 11.1 ounces of gold to purchase one Bitcoin or even the 9.1 ounces of Bitcoin it would take, uh, well, geez, back in November, you could purchase a Bitcoin for only 8.9 ounces of your gold. So Peter Schiff, when you're laughing at Bitcoiners out there saying that, what about uh, 16,000 was the time to bail out of Bitcoin and trade your Bitcoin for, for shiny yellow rocks, uh, you lost that trade, homie. That doesn't surprise any of you that are listening to this podcast. For those of you who value your wealth in pizza, one Bitcoin will currently purchase you 1,356 large pepperoni pizzas from Papa John's that will feed a family for uh, over three years. That is a heck of a lot of pizza. Uh, certainly a lot more pizza than Laszlo got on the very first Bitcoin pizza day. Uh, and uh, so that certainly puts that into perspective. I mean, let's think about it. In the 2017 bull run, before Bitcoin had the big crypto winner, Bitcoin exploded up to almost 18000 or just under $20,000 a coin. Uh, we're 10% over that right now. So even if you had bought the top of the previous bull run, you're sitting pretty. And almost nobody bought the top because Bitcoin was only at its top for hours or if not minutes. That's usually how that works. Nobody really buys the top. Nobody really bought $69,600 Bitcoin unless you were, you know, Johnny Lightning or had a had a had a, a pre-programmed trade executed because it just wasn't sitting there for that long. All right, we do have a lot to talk about. And one of the things that I want to talk about is I mentioned uh, the Good Beans Coffee Shop in El Salvador last week. I had ordered some coffee. It hadn't gotten here yet. Well, it has, and I'm drinking it right now. And it is fantastic. I had never had Salvadoran coffee before, but I've heard all of you who've been down to Bitcoin Beach bragging about it. And I don't drink a lot of coffee that might surprise you watching this podcast because I was drinking coffee just last time you, we got together, right? But I don't. I'm very picky about my coffee. Uh, usually I order my coffee from two places. I get coffee from a, a little place in, uh, in Kona, uh, uh, Kona Coffee in Hawaii on the side of a volcano, uh, Thunder Mountain or Mountain Thunder. Sorry about that. I'll give you guys a shout out. Uh, later, but in the but um, the other place I order is I sometimes get uh, it's not the highest quality coffee in the world, but they roast it with pino nuts in in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and it gives it a really great uh, nutty nutty pino nut flavor. So I, I order uh, pino nut coffee from Red Truck in New Mexico, in uh, Albuquerque or Santa Fe. Whenever I'm there, I pick up a pick up a bag and bring it home, or I order it, have it delivered out here to the Space Coast in Florida. But I ordered the uh, Saturn, Saturninus, I'm so far not uh, pronouncing that properly, 
uh, Via Espana Estate Coffee from the Good Beans in El Salvador, and it is phenomenal. This is what I'm drinking right now. I have not tried the dark roast yet. I've got some dark roast I can't wait to try, but it, it just didn't seem like a dark roast kind of day. It's later in the afternoon, so maybe if I weren't on my first cup, I would be trying the dark roast. I'll give it a try later, but thank you for that coffee, guys. That is fantastic. I'm trying to, to come up with the words to describe how this coffee tastes, and I've been at a loss for it. When I opened up the bag and took a whiff of the, of the aroma, I mean, you could smell the coffee before I even opened the envelope, but when I opened up the bag, it had almost a buttery, earthy flavor, and buttery is probably the wrong word to describe it. You know, like butter and coffee is probably get you, you know, maybe. Uh, it's an earthiness, and close, the closest thing I can think of is if you're a cigar aficionado, if you've ever smoked a really premium Cuban cigar, there's something special about a premium Cuban cigar. They've kind of gone downhill. Cuba's having a lot of financial problems, and they're, they, were, they were not aging the tobacco as long or... Uh, Shipping out cheaper stuff than they used to be when, when they were a little, uh, little their standards were probably a little bit higher in the up until the last few years. Nonetheless, a premium Cuban cigar almost has like a reddish brown earthy wrapper look to it. It just looks like, like a really nice piece of leather or something, and it has an earthy smell to it, an earthy flavor that only Cuban tobacco has. Um, and this kind of has that similar earthiness to it. Uh, it's smooth. Um, and it's just got, and I'm drinking, I drink my coffee black because I am kind of a coffee snob. When I drink my coffee, I like to taste the coffee. I don't want to drink uh, chocolate or vanilla. So I only drink good coffee to make it worth my time. So the New Mexico coffee, a good Kona coffee, or now what is currently my favorite coffee, uh, this Good Beans coffee from El Salvador. And uh, they are in a little coffee shop uh, in, uh, it's in, it's in San Salvador. It's not San Salvador proper. It's like a suburb, I believe, of, of El Salvador. But basically, it's San Salvador, uh, which is the capital of El Salvador. I believe it is. Uh, uh, I'm spacing on the town you're in. Forgive me, guys. I just had an envelope from you sit in my hands. Um, but uh, for all intents and purposes, San Salvador. And I had no idea how long it would take to get this coffee shipped here. And it took about a week. I think I literally got it one week and one day after they tweeted, uh, DM me on Twitter that they had sent the coffee. So I'm digressing. This is a Bitcoin co podcast, but this is Bitcoin coffee. I paid for this coffee uh, over the Lightning Network. I sent them Bitcoin. They sent me coffee. So if you want to support El Salvador, if you want to support uh, the Bitcoin Network, Bitcoin adoption in El Salvador, and you'll love a fantastic cup of coffee, or you're just curious what coffee tastes like from El Salvador, maybe it isn't even your thing. I'll bet it will be because it's just that darn smooth. I mean, even if you drown it with French vanilla creamer, it's still going to be the best coffee in the world drowned with French vanilla creamer. But... Uh, Support the Good Beans. You can find them at, uh, on Twitter. On Twitter, they are Good Beans The, like the Good Beans, but the The's on the end. And uh, DM them on Twitter, and they'll send you a lightning invoice, and, and, uh, and you can get some fantastic coffee in the mail in about a week or so. And I can't wait to try the dark roast, guys. And they also sent me some, uh, some roasting, not roasting, it's uh, some, some, uh, some pre preparation tips. Uh, I order whole beans. I, I'm assuming they sell it ground as well, but... You know, if you're having coffee, coffee delivered, you order the beans, right? Because they last longer. Fresh ground coffee needs to be used right away. But ground beans will last you months before they go bad, as long as they're stored properly. Uh, so shout out. They are not a sponsor of the show, but I am a fan of them. I'm fanboying on your coffee right now. So, so thanks again. All right. Speaking of fans and fanboys, I always say if you send us a boost, O'Gram, on Fountain or your favorite podcast, Deepwater app, we will read those on the next episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. And I'm not sure this really counts as a boost. It was a boost, and there were, they came in, there were two of them. 
And if you remember the audio quality on last week's episode, it was a little odd. I mentioned it sounded like I was recording in a canyon, and I, I tweaked the soundboard a little bit. Uh, it turns out this brand new soundboard I'm using, if the power goes out, it defaults to a weird reverb setting. Uh, and it literally sounded like I, um, well, I'll read you the boost. Because <laughs> it, it sums it up pretty accurately. Uh, and that boost came from Leggy over the fountain, over the fountain app. Where the heck is it? Did I need to scroll? Did I, I'm scrolling through the boosts here in real time. So, and they and Fountain App kind of hides it because I also earned some sats from listening to another podcast, and they came in one sat at a time. So I'm scrolling through several hundred. You got one Satoshi for listening to the following podcast thing. Uh, come on. Anyway, the boost was about the audio quality. Uh, and there it is. It's from Leggy, and he sent two. The first one, he sent 2,714 sats to say, sorry, but it sounds like you recorded it sounded you recorded it on the toilet. That is exactly what that reverb sounded like, and I apologize for not getting on that sooner. I did fix about halfway through the show, and he sent a second boost. And the second boost was uh, 2,709 sats from Leggy, and it said, never mind, now it's fine. Uh, smiley face, greetings, Leggy. So greetings, Leggy. Thanks for the shout out. Those are the only two boosts uh, that we have at the time of this recording. If you do help support us, uh, and you know what? Usually boosts you think of like a shout out, like saying, hey, or, uh, or whatever. Maybe you want to say happy birthday or congratulations to some friends that are getting married or mark the birth of a new child. Whatever people do when they do their, when they do their boosts. Uh, this one was useful because it was pointing out a technical flaw that I had made in the recording. So thank you. And speaking of you listeners, uh, the ranking of where the listeners uh, to this podcast are around the world of about the same as they were last week. Argentina and Germany kind of jockey for that second place position sometimes, but currently 52% of you are listening from the United States of America. 14% of you are down in Argentina. So buenos dias. If I don't get this recorded and published much sooner, it's going to be buenas noches to those of you, my friends in Argentina. Third place, 6% of you are listening in Germany, and it is definitely already a Guten Nacht in Germany. It's way beyond Guten Abend. So, hello, Guten Abend, uh, meine Freunde, uh, I'm Deutschland, or whatever that would be, right? So, uh, hola, bienvenidos, Argentina, Argentinians, uh, Guten, uh, Guten Nacht, uh, Deutschlanders. And then, uh, tied for third place is a four way tie between Canada, eh? Luxembourg, Venezuela, and Colombia, where 2% of you are listening from. So 2% of you are in Canada. Hello, Canadians. Hello, the, the 51st state to the north of us. Some people like to jokingly refer to Canadians. If you're not familiar with Canada, the vast majority of Canada's population lives on the U.S. border or within a stone's throw of the U.S. border, which makes sense because North Canada is very cold and kind of, a, kind of almost a wasteland. I mean, there's not a wasteland. It's beautiful, but it's frozen tundra. It's definitely... Definitely wilderness. It's like being Alaska in the United States. You know, it's very rugged, very beautiful, and not many people live there. I've never been to Luxembourg. I've been really close. I've been, you know, Austria, Germany. Uh, maybe I'll have a chance to get to Luxembourg if I ever get to Europe in the near future. Never been to Venezuela. I probably will not be allowed to go to Venezuela anytime soon because of the politics. Uh, but uh, maybe Venezuela will have a renaissance one day when they get over their current troubles. Because look what's happening in El Salvador. Just a few years ago, El Salvador was the murder cap of the world. No one in their right mind would dream of a vacation in, in El Salvador. And now tourism is booming in El Salvador. They've got one of the only countries with an expanding GDP while the rest of the world is heading into recession. Uh, and all of that is thanks to their, uh, their president, Nayib Bukele, and their Bitcoin 
adoption because uh, those tourists are pouring into Bitcoin. The new entrepreneurs are, are pouring into El Salvador because of Bitcoin and because of President Bukele. So maybe something like that could happen in Venezuela, and that would be awesome. I look forward to supporting you guys in, in Venezuela if that does as well. And then Colombia. I missed my opportunity to visit Colombia because I had a friend that was living down there in Bogota, uh, and I wanted to get there. And Bogota was another place that was incredibly dangerous until fairly recently, and apparently they're doing great things in Colombia and in Bogota particularly. So my friend in Bogota now lives in Tucson, Arizona. So shout out to you if you're listening. But I missed my window to go freeload off a friend in, in Colombia, unfortunately. So hola to you down in Colombia. Maybe I'll get to visit you one day. Uh, nonetheless, even though it won't be quite as free uh, to do so now. All right. The rest of the news out there. Well, there's two big controversies. Well, one big controversy and one thing that everyone's always obsessed with. Of course, everyone's always obsessed with the price of Bitcoin. And a lot of that has been... Uh, trending following the, the ups and downs of the United States stock markets. Uh, and most of that has to do with the drama around interest rates, uh, the U.S. Federal Reserve, and what Jerome Powell has to say. As you know, last week they had just had their, uh, their February 1st meeting where they raised interest rates by 25 basis points, one quarter of a percent, which was lower than they previously had, but absolutely expected. And markets rallied and plunged and rallied and plunged because people didn't know what to make of it. Uh, just the other day, was it yesterday? Tuesday, actually. It was two, yes, yesterday, Jerome Powell gave a speech in Washington, D.C. that also triggered the markets. Uh, they interpreted it as uh, good news at first, and the markets rallied, and then they, they, they decided it wasn't very dovish. It was, in fact, hawkish, and markets crashed, and they've since recovered a little bit. I think they're down again today, but at least Bitcoin, which is what we care about, has mostly recovered uh, at the moment. Anyway, uh, Jerome Powell clarified the Federal Reserve's position on interest rates saying, quote, the disinflationary process, the process of getting inflation down has begun, and it's begun in the goods sector. I'm digressing here. You know, this is all BS, right? Uh, the Federal Reserve setting interest rates is not why we had inflation, and it's not what's getting inflation under control. 40% of all United States dollars in circulation being printed in the last year is why we had inflation. It's supply and demand. If goods are short and the money remains fixed, then the price of goods goes up. Or if goods remain fixed and the amount of money chasing it after goes up, then the price of goods relative goes up because it's kind of like kids trading stamps or baseball cards or Pokemon cards or candy or whatever on the playground, right? If some kid comes in with a really rare collectible, something nobody else has, he's going to be able to trade whatever the heck he wants for it. But let's just, let's just say it's a Pokemon card. And the next day, 10 people come in all with the same Pokemon card they're not going to be able to demand as high a price, right? Well, the Pokemon card is the U.S. dollar in that, in that case. If everybody all of a sudden has a 40% of the money increase, you know, 40, if they have 50%, 40% more money, if the money supply effectively d almost doubles, uh, what that money is worth goes down. And we see that in terms of rising prices. The normie sees that in the $7 carton of eggs. It isn't that eggs got more expensive. It's that the dollar is worth less. It still takes about the same number of gallons of milk to buy the same number of eggs. Uh, that's the gold bug thing. You know, gold bugs like to say that uh, gold was the original store of value, the hedge against inflation, because in ancient Rome, one gold coin would buy you a toga and a nice pair of sandals. And in 1900, one gold coin would buy you a really nice suit, a custom belt, and a custom pair of shoes. And that's what one gold coin will buy you today. So the fact that gold went from $35 to $1,900 wasn't that gold got more valuable, it's that the value of the dollar has gotten 
weaker. It's gotten less. The dollar is more worthless. If you know anything about monetary history inflation, you know the dollar is worth 98% of its 1913 value, the value of the U.S. dollar when uh, the Federal Reserve first came to be in 1913. Uh, so what you could buy for a $1 bill in 1913 was a heck of a lot more than you could purchase now. And that is, uh, that's a function of the devaluation of the U.S. dollar, not things getting more expensive. All commodities relative to each other in general, I mean, there are things move around, right? You know, new technologies are naturally deflationary. When microwaves first came out, they were a $1,000 microwave. You know, in the 1970s, it would cost you a grand to be the only one in your street with a microwave. But now you can go to Walmart and get a microwave for less than $50. Uh, so that's, you know, an individual commodity. That's not, representative, that's not representative of a deflationary environment overall in the world, overall, and you know, in overall things have gotten more expensive. So with some exceptions, in general, things have gotten more expensive. It takes more U.S. dollars to purchase them. And the way to look at it is things didn't get more expensive. The dollar is worth less. Uh, but they snow you over and they think that people are raising prices. Evil corporations are price gouging. And it's the goods that are getting more expensive. The dollar is always the same. One dollar is worth one dollar mantra. Uh, and that's not the case. Uh, so back to what Jerome Powell was saying. So the disinflationary crisis has begun. Bullshnunk. The effect of printing 40% of the monetary supply is finally subsiding. Because, you know, inflation, monetary debasement, if, it, if you freeze the level of monetary supply, eventually, you know, uh, the price, price discovery seeks an equilibrium and things will settle out. And that's what's happening. Nonetheless, all the normies are assuming that disinflation has begun and that is why the stock market uh, was, was, uh, was soaring. They were taking that as good news. However, Powell continued... But it has a long way to go. These are the very early stages. The reality is we're going to react to the data. So if we continue to get, for example, strong labor market reports, also bullshit, or higher inflation reports, it may well be the case that we have to do more and raise rates more than is already priced in. So that's what tanked the markets. People thought, oh crap, just because they did what they said they did and only did a, uh, said they would do and only did a, a 25 basis point interest rate rise. Uh, he said, uh-oh, uh, we just got this inflation number that came in with a fantastic jobs report, lowest unemployment in 60 years. So they're going to raise rates again. And that's, uh, that's that market mentality. So if you are looking at that jobs report, it's really freaking amusing because I, I don't have it sitting in front of me. But here's the deal. The January jobs numbers are always quote unquote, seasonally adjusted. And why is that? That is because every Christmas season, all the stores Amazon, UPS, they all hire seasonal employees and they all get laid off after the Christmas holidays. And because of that, they adjust the unemployment numbers to say, even though, even though, you know, 200,000 fewer people have jobs than did in December, it's really like 500,000 people have more, 500,000 more people have jobs because we're not going to take, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to tweak the numbers to take into account all the people that would, that were supposed to get laid off because their seasonal jobs came to a halt. And that's bullshit for a number of reasons this year. And it's not just because it's BS in general. As Mark Twain said, there are three types of lies. Lies, damn lies, and statistics. What he really meant were government statistics. Uh, it's because this holiday, they didn't have all those seasonal hirings, uh, the, the huge seasonal hiring boom that, that we normally get around the holidays. We're still recovering from the supply chain and the, and the lockdown thing. But more importantly, 
A huge portion of those seasonal jobs come from companies like Amazon and UPS who are laying off tens of thousands of people. So it, they didn't hire, it, it, you, Amazon UPS didn't bulk up on hiring in December, they were laying people off. So if you wanna do a seasonal adjustment, you have to, if you were really to look at the seasonal numbers and adjust it to take that into account, unemployment is worse. Uh, and another really amusing uh, I, I, em, em, employment statistic, I was listening to uh, the Canadian Bitcoiners, shout out to you guys up in the great white north, not just our listeners, but Canadian Bitcoiners, the podcast that they were discussing, for example, a uh, over half of these quote unquote job gains come from those that are 65 and older. So all these booms, a large portion of is old people that can't afford to retire anymore that are going to get jobs as greeters at Walmart. Uh, that is not representative of the greatest economy of 50 years. So yeah, you can say, look at all these new jobs. I mean, if you just walk down the street in my hometown, every bar and every restaurant has a now hiring sign. And it isn't because the economy is booming. It's because nobody will do those jobs anymore. So those jobs are available. If you want them, if you want to be a dishwasher at the local dive bar down the street, uh, you can wash mugs. And, and that might look to the administration like that's the greatest economy of 50 years. But what it is is, uh, if you were working for $180,000 a year for a tech company and you just got laid off and now you've got three jobs washing dishes and still not able to make the ends meet, well, you know, one, there was one layoff, but you took two part-time jobs or three part-time jobs. So that cancels out. Net, net, we, we lost one and we added two. So we're up one. So we've got this booming economy. It's all BS. Uh, but, you know, hey, all politics is BS. So that's what the markets are reacting to, and that's because the normies are sheep and because talking heads on the financial media like to be able to tell you they know exactly why each stock is priced the way it is or why it moved the way it did. And they gotta have, you, they gotta have something to tell you, and the easiest thing to say is it's because of the Fed. Uh, and in some ways, it is because of the Fed, but only because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Hey, some fantastic news for Bitcoin out there today. You might have seen the news as reported, and I believe it was Decrypt and on Yahoo uh, News, etc. Quote, Craig Wright loses Bitcoin copyright claim. A UK court threw out the claim on Tuesday with Judge James Mellor saying, whilst I accept that the law of copyright will continue to face challenges with new digital technologies, I do not see any prospect of the law as currently stated and understood in the case law allowing copyright protection of subject matter which is not expressed or fixed anywhere. Uh, he goes into some legalese that is kind of like basically how like Kleenex and Xerox can't be protected by copyright anymore because everyone refers to every tissue as a Kleenex. So it's in common language basically, so they lose their copyright protection. Uh, but he goes on to say that he argued that no relevant work has been identified showing Bitcoin's origin. So there's your zinger to CSW. CSW hasn't, in addition to the fact that, that uh, Bitcoin is basically out there in the common domain or whatever, according to this court ruling, he also said that basically CSW didn't meet his burden. Uh, and that is, that's the underlying gravy behind that. So that's, uh, at least that news story is five hours old. So that's pretty, pretty breaking news. The other thing that everybody's up in a tizzy about on Bitcoin Twitter, the Twitter sphere on the internet, online and the chat rooms, etc., are ordinals. I'm sure you know what ordinals are because that's all anyone's talking about besides Bitcoin price. If you do not, most people are basically relating ordinals uh, to NFTs, basically as a result of, uh, well, not just SegWit. SegWit enabled uh, several upgrades, but uh, it wasn't SegWit. It's, uh, it's, I'm having a Joe Biden moment, ladies and gentlemen. Um, 
Taproot uh, enabled basically putting data in the segregated witness in the in the header or whatever of a Bitcoin transaction that isn't weighted the same as the data uh, of the actual Bitcoin transaction itself. So, like op return codes, etc. You can you can load up a Bitcoin transaction with a lot of data and you can do it a lot cheaper because SegWit separated you know the witness data so it could basically expand the size of the Bitcoin blocks without actually expanding the size of the Bitcoin blocks, kept the block size the same by not counting the, counting the header data, basically, the witness data. Uh, and it, isn't, it doesn't calculate, the, the, fees, the fee rate isn't calculated the same on that data. So it, because that data, data is segregated and because you can now jam a bunch of crap into it, uh, they came up with ordinals, which are being basically described as NFTs, that, that in and of itself is controversial. A lot of people think they're, they're not NFTs. They're not the same as NFTs. And they give you a million reasons why. But functionally, that's what they're being used for. And it is jamming up the Bitcoin blockchain. You can see that by on-chain data, the number of pending transactions. Uh, I believe I glossed right over that when we were talking about our statistics uh, and on-chain activity. Uh, but currently, uh, there are... 49 blocks where the transactions pending on the uh, blockchain in the mempool. And that is significantly more than the one or two blocks we'd been averaging for the last couple of months. Uh, we saw it, we saw it spike uh, to 24 blocks per transaction back in November. I saw it spike to 109 transactions briefly in November, but that prior to that, it was only three blocks. So basically the mempool had been clearing out on nights and weekends, nighttime and weekends in the U S and Europe, which is where most of the on-chain activity had been taking place. Uh, you know, there's a lot of activity in other places, but, um, but the majority of the on-chain transactions were occurring during what was business hours in the United States and Europe. Uh, when those two countries went to sleep, when those two continents went to sleep, when those two geographic areas went to sleep, uh, activity cleared out. And that has not been the case. Late last night, I checked, and there were over 40 transactions pending in the mempool. It's currently 49 transactions. And those transactions aren't very huge. I mean, they're not very many transactions. They're huge transactions. So, uh, for example, um, mempool, come on, where is it? There are 15,770 transactions pending in the mempool, but that's going to take up, wow, 52 blocks for the transactions now, uh, as opposed to when that might have only been 15 blocks for the transactions. The reason why is all that extra data uh, from ordinals. So some people think ordinals are an attack on Bitcoin that uh, it's a spam attack, kind of like during the fork wars when uh, people were mining, uh, some specifically nefarious individuals were mining blank blocks, spamming the network um, to jam up the network and to increase transaction fees. And they did prior to SegWit. SegWit kind of took care of that. And that's why the, the transactions aren't jammed up. But when we had, you know, 120 blocks of the transactions or whatever it was pending in the mempool back in 2017, it was because we had a boatload of transactions. Now the mempool's jammed up with only you know, 15,000 transactions instead of hundreds of thousands of transactions because the transactions are larger and blocks are determined by you know, size. Obviously, segregated witness weights some of that size differently, but in general, uh, you know, the transactions, the si size, size matters, right? There's still a hard cap on the size of a Bitcoin block. Uh, and so some people think ordinals were done to be nefarious, uh, other people think that, well, no, you know, uh, Taproot and SegWit enabled valid purposes for Bitcoin, and there's no such thing as an invalid purpose for Bitcoin. There's either, there's either something that fits with the Bitcoin protocol or doesn't comply with the Bitcoin protocol, and we're, 
we're supposed to be agnostic. And, he, and you, you take the good to the bad, basically. There is no good, there is no bad, there just is Bitcoin. Uh, so that's one way to look at it. The way I look at it is, will this actually have any long-term effect on Bitcoin? Uh, it could, it could, but that effect could be positive, right? Because people are worried about, you know, the having reducing the fees that miners get, therefore reducing the number of miners or the mining incentive and therefore reducing Bitcoin security. So maybe this will impact that. I've never really been worried about that because by the time mining fees are reduced to where they're only getting a mere handful of Satoshis per each block, those Satoshis are gonna be worth a lot more. You know, if Bitcoin 10 X is again, well then, you know, you could get a factor of 10 less Satoshis for your reward, but US dollar wise, which is what people are thinking of, would be the same. So I wasn't actually worried about that, but uh, you know, that some people are saying uh, this, that those ordinals could help that. I think the whole thing's just gonna go away. And I don't think it's gonna go away because ordinals are a fad. I think they're gonna go away because NFTs in their current iteration are a fad. Uh, everyone storing monkey pictures or pictures of a rock on the blockchain, that's gonna go away. Now there might be some, and it, we're gonna call them in air quotes, NFTs, some way to use NFTs in the future that might be revolutionary, earth shattering, change everything we know about quote unquote blockchain. I doubt it, but there could be, who knows? I don't have a crystal ball, right? I don't know what the price is gonna be for sure on any given day. And I don't know what the use of these other cryptos blockchains or side uses for Bitcoin might be. Weird niche uses for Bitcoin that other than, you know, as a monetary exchange medium that people might come up with, who knows? But in general, I think Bitcoin, uh, as far as, well, on any chain, NFTs as we know them now, will not exist in four years. Four years from today, you might use the word NFT, but it isn't going to mean the same thing it means today. It's not going to be monkey pictures or pet rocks. Speaking of the next thing, what many people have pointed out the next crypto fad is going to be, and this is where I think the next crypto fad is going to be, and this is why NFTs are going to fade, because scammers always move to the next great scam, the next big con, because people become wise to their current, you know, shenanigans. The whole fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, or fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me thing. People don't like to get fooled twice. Maybe some people are gullible enough you can fool them five, six times, but most people you can't. So the scammers move on to something new. In 2017, they had the ICO, the initial coin offering. Ethereum and these other cryptos were going to be stocks, basically, right? You, were going to, you weren't going to own stock in a company, you were going to own a token in a company. And obviously, that was all a scam because you don't have any, any really tokenized companies out there. You definitely don't have any of the big fad ICOs that people got scammed out of millions on, maybe hundreds of millions in some cases. Uh, and I think NFTs are that fertile ground for scams right now whether there's some use for this technology that people will still refer to as NFTs in the future is irrelevant. The concept of NFTs will not be the same in four years. And what people are saying the next trendy thing, the next crypto fad, crypto scam is gonna be, will revolve around AI. AI is the big new buzzword. And, uh, and that's kind of what I believe too. There's a lot of neat things you know, chat GPT is kind of cool. Uh, there are people who are both excited about it and scared about it. And chat GPT is fun, but, you know, we, you can't predict what new technology will do. So just like in 1989, when I was at the computer lab at Arizona State University sending emails, whoop, docs myself, right? Oops, makes me old and can narrow me down to one of 150,000 students, right? Ha, largest university in the world. Anyway. Uh, the emails we were sending, you would not have envisioned the current, 
you wouldn't have envisioned that you'd be picking your phone out of your pocket and ordering dog food on Amazon uh, all, all those years ago. And we don't know what the world's going to be like in 30, 40 years from now either. We don't know what AI is going to be like. But what we can say is that it's, fat, it's, it's the current trend, it's the current fad. And so during the uh, blockchain fad, remember Long Island Ice Tea changed their name to Long Island Blockchain? And they didn't get into Bitcoin or any crypto. They would just change their name to blockchain and their stock price went through the freaking roof. And they weren't the only company that did this. In fact, some of them got in trouble for manipulating their stock price because that's all it was, was a pump and dump. But that, I think, is what we're going to see as the next crypto fad. Uh, you're going to see Long Island Blockchain IA or Long Island IA Blockchain. Uh, the next fad will, you know, F and everyone will have forgotten about NFTs in their current iterance. And, and it'll be something new, probably revolving around AI. And that's, that's my thought about ordinals. I don't really give two cents about ordinals other than the fact that, uh, you know, that the transactions, the mempools are full. However, you know, it's not really screwing with the Bitcoin fee market right now. Uh, looking at the fee estimator at the moment, it says it's going to cost you 19 sats per byte uh, to guarantee you that your transactions included the next block, but one sat per byte transactions will still clear within a day. I haven't seen the mempool clear out, so I can't guarantee that one sat transaction, uh, one sat bright transactions will clear. Maybe I'll try and send one later tonight and see how long it takes to clear. But that being said, 19 sats per byte is not radically more than what we've seen in the past. Uh, it's, it, is, it is up. But for example, two weeks ago, it was 10 sats per byte. So while that's almost double, uh, two months ago, it was 27 sats per byte, and we didn't have ordinals. Three months ago, it was 36 sats per byte. So 19 sats per byte is half of where we were three months ago. So uh, I think this will shake out. I think this will settle down. Uh, and who knows? Maybe ordinals, will. maybe there will be some good uh, use for it that we are actually happy with. You know, when side chains and lightning first came out, people were very skeptical about liquid, or some people are still skeptical about side chains. But... Lightning, people were very skeptical about. Uh, and Lightning has really proven itself. And I'm not saying that ordinals as they exist, NFTs especially, are going to be comparable to Lightning. But who knows? Uh, Adam Meister at TechBalt on Twitter uh, was tweeting out uh, about ordinals in the last couple of days. And one of the things he pointed out was that the UI is actually pretty slick with ordinals. And that's not something you usually see right away with a new tech. And people are usually complaining about Bitcoin's UI, user experience, user interface is being really clunky, that you have to be techy to use a lot of the Bitcoin technology, a lot of wallets, a lot of things to do with operating your own node and the Lightning Network, you know, like uh, using RTL, Ride the Lightning, for managing a Lightning node is got some learning curve to it. Apparently, this Ordinals wallet does not, and that it's relatively slick, so maybe that's a positive to come out of Ordinals. Who knows? What I do know is that today is Wednesday, and while it's still Wednesday, let's get down to what we're here for, right? And that is to make our DCA stack, to add to that stack, to stack sats, because Wednesday, as you know, is DCA Wednesday. And if you're new, if you're just following us, if you want to learn and you do not know what DCA means, DCA is short for dollar cost averaging, and dollar cost averaging is commonly understood to be an investment strategy where you invest your money in equal portions at regular intervals, regardless of price. For example, this is going to be our 81st stack. 81st stack? Yeah, it's going to be our 81st stack. Wow. We've been stacking uh, every Wednesday since July of 2021. So not, not two years, but well over a year now. 
Uh, and so we've been stacking every Wednesday. That's our regular interval. And our equal portion is just $20. And the reason we chose $20 is because I wanted to keep it simple. And I wanted to show that even if you only invest as little as 20 bucks, uh, that you can, that that will add up over time and it'll add up faster than a lot of people think because, you know, they say don't invest any money that you can't afford to lose. And I think for most people, 20 bucks is definitely fits in that, in that, in that category. So as usual, you do you, you pick an amount that you feel comfortable investing. I wanted to show that even as little as 20 bucks could get you somewhere. The other major reason I chose $20 is because every day on Twitter or Reddit, you'll see somebody post I only have 500 bucks. Is it even worth it? Am I too late? Will $500 even matter? Uh, or will, am, I, am I just wasting my time? And if you're someone out there thinking, I have $500 or I have $1,000, but is it even worth investing 500 bucks or is it just a waste of time? Well, I think I've shown in just a year and a half that $20 added up. Because over that year and a half, that $20 has, got, has built us a stack of 5.5 million sats. 5,554,053 Satoshis to be exact. If you're so new, you don't know what a Satoshi is. A Satoshi is the smallest unit of Bitcoin. Think of a dollar as a dollar and a penny as the smallest unit of a dollar. So a Bitcoin would be like the whole unit and a Satoshi is the smallest unit. Bitcoin's divisible to 100,000 Satoshis. Uh, and so we've stacked 5 million of them. And I think one day people will be using Satoshis instead of Bitcoin anyway because... As Bitcoin gets more and more valuable, it, it's a lot weirder to say, hey, that, that cup of coffee cost me 0.000001 Bitcoin. It'd be a lot easier to say that it cost me a handful of sets. Uh, but I digress. That's what a Satoshi is, and we have 5.5 million of them. And we did it just $20 at a time. So you do you. Pick a, a dollar value and an amount that you feel comfortable. But the key is be consistent because if you're trying to time the markets, that's when you get into trouble unless you're a very experienced trader. Most people get wrecked regardless of what they're trying to trade, whether it's stocks, precious metals, commodities, or Bitcoin. Uh, so we're keeping it simple. We're DCAing, and that's why we started this experiment. Both Bitcoin and DCA and anything are long-term strategies. You know, you should not buy Bitcoin expecting to get rich. You shouldn't buy Bitcoin expecting to sell it. What, the important thing is that you get into Bitcoin, but once you do, you, you find that your goals change. Most people come to Bitcoin because they, they are their curiosity is piqued because they've seen the news stories about people getting rich. But then they, they, they learn a little more. Once you, you start seeing the utility of Bitcoin, you learn how it can revolutionize payments, cross-border payments, remittances, what have you. If you've ever sent an international wire, you'll know it's a pain in the butt. I've sent several international wires overseas, mainly to places like China for a business I was involved in. I purchased equipment. Uh, and it took 30 days to get you know $10,000 to China even though I went to my bank and it disappeared from our account immediately. Uh, you know, I kept getting update emails from China saying, hey, we need that money to settle because we got to ship because in that one case, the Chinese New Year was coming up. And if they didn't get my crate on a boat by, you know, a certain day, February 1st, I think it was that, that time, that it was going to be a month before they could ship it. Uh, and I had sent the wire in December. And here we are coming up on February 1st and they hadn't gotten it settled yet. And that's how archaic the current system is. Had Bitcoin been around and had I sent them Bitcoin, I would have pressed send on my phone and the crate would have been loaded on the boat because it was sitting at the dock in Shenzhen uh, waiting to get loaded onto a, onto a boat um, and, uh, and they were waiting for that wire to, to settle. So Bitcoin is revolutionary in those terms. I have another friend who wanted to donate some money to a charity in Central America, ran into some trouble with that. You know who you are if you're actually listening and he's not a Bitcoiner. So shout out to you, not doxing him. But uh, 
man, if he sent Bitcoin, that would have just been an instant transaction, no headache. Uh, it's hard to move money. It's hard to get money in and out of other countries. It is not hard to move Bitcoin. I ordered this coffee. They had that money, and it wasn't much. You know, it was you know fifty dollars worth. It wasn't even fifty. It was like forty dollars for a couple pounds. More than I mean, it wasn't just this. It was lots of coffee, and uh, and half of that was shipping because it cost a decent amount of money to ship coffee. You know, it's international shipment and it's uh, heavy. So, uh, but they had that in seconds. They sent me a lightning invoice. I paid it. They said, thank you. It'll be in the mail tomorrow. Uh, way smoother. And that had nothing to do with the dollar value. I could have done that with a $10,000 transaction as well. Obviously, probably wouldn't use the lightning network, but, but I digress. Uh, back to the reason we're here, and that's to grow that stack. While I've been hanyaking, the price of Bitcoin has fluctuated a little bit. So we're going to use the handy dandy cash app to stack that Bitcoin. Again, do your own research, pick an app that, that suits your needs. I have been arguing in favor of Cash App Online recently. I got into a couple conversations on Reddit. People were asking about Cash App, and I said, I use Cash App because it's easy. For small amounts, we're going to pay about, we're going to pay about 45 cents to stack $20 of the Bitcoin today, which is more than you would pay if you were paying. Like, I believe when I was using uh, Coinbase Pro, which doesn't even exist anymore, it was Gadex originally, GDAX or whatever. Uh, it was about one tenth of one percent. You know, it, it was it was cheap. As long, if you were if you were the maker and not the taker, uh, the fees were really 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 low. But for twenty dollars, that's negligible. Uh, if I were going to buy a, a, a million dollars of the Bitcoin, I would pi I would pick a different. I would not be using Cash App. I would find the, the cheapest fee possible uh, because that's a large amount. But since this is a small amount. What I think is more important is Cash App is going to let me take this Bitcoin and send it to my hardware wallet, and they are going to let me do that for free. Whereas when I move my Bitcoin off of Coinbase, they charge me like a $5 mining fee. So if I had saved, I'm going to spend 45 cents buying this Bitcoin on Cash App. And if I had paid a $5 mining fee to move it, well, obviously the 45 cents is cheaper. So that's what I'm taking into account here. Plus Cash App is just super easy. They don't put any holds on it. Uh, I'm going to transfer $20 to my Cash App right now because I have a debit card linked to my Cash App and I don't actually keep money on Cash App. Uh, I use my Cash App card for a lot of things because I'm in a touristy area and so I've had my debit card cloned before and had money to spare on my checking account. So if I use my Cash App card, I can lock it. They, they, it doesn't matter. If someone steals my Cash App card, there's nothing in it. They can't touch me. But I can send money to Cash App and then spend it instantly. Uh, and they'll let me withdraw that instantly. And the last time I purchased on Coinbase... They let me buy instantly. Actually, they did not. The last time I wired money, they made me wait seven days to settle that money before they'd let me spend it. But uh, back when they used to let you use a credit card, they would let you purchase instantly. But then they wouldn't let you send it to your wallet for five business days to make sure you really, really had that money. None of that horse with Cash App. They're going to let me purchase and send it back to my hardware wallet instantly. And if you're not using Cash App and you want to, there is a referral code in the show notes. Cash App is not a sponsor of the show. Everyone who has Cash App gets their own referral code. If you sign up for Cash App, you can send your friends your referral code, and then you'll get their referral bonus. But in the meantime, if you don't, please use that referral code. You'll get $5 free for signing up. We'll get 5 bucks as well. So you'll get paid to use Cash App, and we'll get, we'll get 5 bucks. So you'll help the podcast. Basically, you'll tip the podcast 5 bucks for free. No, you'll get paid $5 to tip the podcast 5 bucks. So consider using that referral code uh, if you want to use Cash App. Do your own research. They are not a sponsor. Uh, but if you find Cash App is the thing for you, please use that, that note, that link in the show notes. Scroll down. 
uh, wherever you're listening, where the notes about this episode are towards the bottom, there's some links. That's one of them. All right. So I've got Cash App open and I'm tapping on Bitcoin, tapping buy, entering $20. And boom, just like that, we purchased another 85,130 Satoshis. Uh, that price went up a tiny bit. We purchased that at a price of $22,964.96. But uh, perhaps more importantly, for those of you following along, that has uh, increased our stack to 5 million. Uh, that's what, uh, that, that increased, I'm sorry, that, that uh, increased our stack to about, well, over 5.5 million but it decreased our average cost basis by another $88.33. That's nowhere near those, I mean, when Bitcoin was at like 15,000, we knocked our average cost basis down by more than $400. So it's peanuts, but that number is moving down. Our current average cost basis is now $29,167.89. Currently underwater, but not that far underwater. You know, Bitcoin makes some big moves and to be over 29,000, uh, it could happen in a, in a blink of an eye. And more importantly, the longer Bitcoin stays down or if it drops again, it's going to keep lowering that average cost, uh, that average cost basis, that average purchase price. Uh, but all that really matters is the size of that stack. Uh, and the other thing that, that we pointed out the last several episodes is uh, DCA versus lump sum investing. If we had YOLO'd in, if we'd spent, well, we've invested, uh, we've, we've sunk 1000 620 US dollars into Bitcoin now converted 1,620 cuck bucks into sats. Uh, and had we taken $1,620 and bought Bitcoin in one lump sum back on July 28th, uh, that would have purchased us uh, just about 4 million sats. So a million and a half sats fewer than we currently have. So dollar cost averaging, smoothing out those highs and those lows has worked out in our favor. Again, this is a long-term strategy. Who knows what will play out in the next few years, but uh, currently it's been beneficial. And, and previously, for all of Bitcoin's history, you know, the price of Bitcoin goes up under the right. Uh, every four years we have a halving, we set a new all-time high. If that new all-time high is 100,000, 200,000, half a million, $29,000 Bitcoin is going to look pretty dang cheap. Uh, you're going to be really happy that you scooped sats. In fact, the FOMO that I'm feeling right now, I've talked about this before, is did I stack enough $15,000 Bitcoin? Did I stack enough $16,000 Bitcoin? Did I stack enough $22,000 Bitcoin? I find the answer is always no, but it's not because I haven't been stacking. It's because I just can't afford to stack more. I'm stacking everything I can comfortably stack. Uh, not just that $20 a month. That's for this podcast. You know, I, I, do, buy the, I do buy on the side as well, and I buy those dips. I do not include them in the stack for for statistic purposes to keep the data as pure as possible. We are only doing our DCA stack, keep that segregated. Uh, That doesn't mean you can't buy that dip. If Bitcoin nosedives to $12,000 tonight, it's not saying, ooh, don't buy any because you got to wait till next Wednesday. By all means, you know, do your own research, buy that freaking dip. Uh, And I do, but uh, all of that aside, uh, you... Four years from now, you know, four, four years from now, we're going to be in the next Bitcoin bear market, unless you believe in the super cycle theory. Uh, but it's going to be, if you look at Bitcoin's history, Bitcoin, you know, it's had multiple peaks and valleys. But in 2017, it went up to 20,000, and then it came crashing down to as low as 3,500. Then the last 
bull run, it made it up to 69,000. Then it came crashing down as low as about 16,000. Uh, but those highs are higher and those lows are higher every time. So if history even rhymes, history doesn't repeat but rhymes, if Bitcoin goes up to 200,000 and then crashes by 80%, that would be down to 40,000. Uh, and if it, Bitcoin goes up to like, you know, half a million and crashes by 80%, that'd be even higher, you know, it'd be 50, 60 or 80,000, whatever that works out to. I'm not a math guy. Should be because I'm a Bitcoiner, right? And I'm into space and rockets as well. So uh, it's kind of weird. I was always really good at physics. You think physics and math are the same thing, right? But I've never been a math guy. So I, uh, I tutored people in physics in college, but could barely grasp, you know, college algebra and calculus. Um, so it's weird how the human brain works. Uh, so on the fly math sometimes, sometimes uh, makes me feel like a boomer. Maybe as I'm getting older too, you know, your brain doesn't work the same as it did when you were, obviously when you're 25, you don't have the same brain you had when you were 15, right? When you're 35, you don't have the same brain as when you're 25. When you're Joe Biden, you don't have the same brain as when you were 70. Uh, but uh, so I digress and I'm rambling again here. All that matters is that when the next all-time high comes, when Bitcoin's sitting at a half a million or at a million, even if Bitcoin goes to a million and then plunges all the way back down to 200,000, and people are like, oh my God, can you believe it? Bitcoin's dead. It's only 200,000. That 29,000 average cost basis is going to, you're going to be calling people who stack today lucky. Maybe not you, you, the, the royal you, right? People are calling people that bought $3,000 Bitcoin lucky. Uh, and you're not lucky. You're smart. You're stacking now and you, you identified Bitcoin as something you believe is a revolutionary technology and you believe the price is going to go up. And so you stacked. That isn't luck. Uh, that is maybe an educated guess and a belief, but it isn't luck. And if, if, if Bitcoin crashes after the next four you're having to something in the, even say it crashes down to 80,000 or even crashes to 50,000, people are going to say, man, I wish I bought some of that $22,000 Bitcoin. And did you buy enough is, is what I'm getting back to. And one way you can do so is by following us every Wednesday because we will be here next Wednesday and every Wednesday till Bitcoin either goes to the moon, there isn't any more Bitcoin to buy, or you just get bored and stop listening. And I'll even keep stacking if you get bored and stop listening. But until then, keep on stacking those sats, you sexy sat staggers.